When you add back into it, it makes it way worse. <laughs> Especially when you're talking about a chimp. Hello and welcome to The Fizzle Show. Connecting you to ideas and people that will help you make an independent living doing something that you care about. Your hosts are Corbett Barr. If uh, this was the original Karate Kid, he'd, of course, be Mr. Miyagi. Wise, wizened, wispy, but can seriously throw down in a bar fight. Caleb Wojcik, he'd be Daniel LaRusso, played by Ralph Macchio. He's the chosen one. You should, you should seriously see him do his crane stance. And me, Chase Reeves, I'd be Crease. The guy who runs the the bad dojo, because I've always wanted a dojo, and every movie needs a bad guy, and clearly I'm the bad guy of this show. In this episode, online business culture seems to be in a bit of a conversion craze, and that's fine if you're Apple or Amazon or even something like NerdFitness.com, where you have several products on the market. And, uh, I don't know, about a million or so people coming to your site monthly. Most of us aren't in that situation. Many listeners to this show are simply trying to make, ship, and sell their very first product. And there's a few things that we here at The Fizzle Show want you to know about conversion. It's the essentials, okay? So you can quit delaying and worrying about unimportant stuff and move forward with your idea. That's what we get into today. Now, unless you've been under a rock, uh, this is part three in our ongoing first product series. Like the previous two, you'll hear a few first product stories from successful business builders, and then we'll join you in the second part of the episode to talk about our topic today. So let's get into our first guest. Here's Derek Halpern founder of socialtriggers.com, where he blogs about the intersection of psychology and marketing. One thing to look for here is how he says he'd change the process of making his first product if he could do it all over again. First of all, what, what, was, your, what was your first product that you made? A uh, blog that converts. And what was it like making that thing? Wait, is this the recording right now? We're on, bro. We're on. Oh, all right. So let me go into Derek mode. I'm not. I, I wasn't even sure. Like, uh, I think you were giving me the heads up. Yeah, I like no, to. I like to take it by surprise. So what? So your first product was uh, how to make a blog that converts, right? Yeah. So my first product is how to create a blog that converts, and it's tailor made for people who are freelancers, uh, experts, people who are consultants, information product sellers. It walks them through how to actually build a blog from scratch and actually grow that blog, so it actually go it fuels their business yeah and so so here's what i want to do because before that you had you had been blogging for a long time you you've got a big old audience right so you built this reach and then you you made their first your first product for to sell into that so what i want to know is going back to that derek who's sitting there okay i'm gonna make my first product um what was that like to actually make that thing so it's really interesting that you asked that question for one main reason, because when I started Social Triggers in March of 2011, it grew very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I had in the back of my head, I knew what product I wanted to create first. Mm. And I was sure that was the product that everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was going to create it, but I was at the beginning, focusing on building the list so I could launch the product and be successful. However, as I started to grow social triggers from scratch to about the first, you know, 30,000 subscribers in that first year, I noticed something strange. 
the product that I wanted to create wasn't the product that people wanted to buy. Hmm. So I actually changed the product that I intended to create to the blogging product and made that my first product because that's what people were looking for. I thought they were looking for A, they were looking for B. Instead of just give it, trying to give them A, I decided to change my strategy and give them B, blog that converts. Yeah, okay, so, and I, so that, and that became clear to you based on like hearing back from them via email or something like that? Yes, it actually, most of it came from, I mean, of course I ran surveys to my list. Yeah. But a lot of it came from when people go to socialtriggers.com and they sign up for my email list. Mm-hmm. The first email that was coming out in the beginning mm-hmm. was, hey, so-and-so, thank you for signing up. I like to run things a little bit different here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to reply to this email and tell me what you're struggling with right now. Now, even if it's something small, don't hesitate. I'll read every email and I'll respond. Yeah. And so email, I got, you know, thousands of responses from people and I personally responded to almost everyone. And during that customer research phase, I started to see where people were struggling and I decided to create the product for their problem as opposed to the original. I love that. So what was it actually like? Uh, first of all, I just love that. I mean, we, I use the same, I call it the, the, the D Halpern email special, you know, uh, tactic or whatever. Uh, I, cause I love that. I, I started doing that on Father Apprentice years ago after I heard you talk about it. And for the same reason, if I ever make a product for Father Apprentice, I know exactly what it's going to be because 80% of the people who respond to that say the same thing, give the same yep. answer about what they're struggling with. And so that kind of feedback, is so valuable. I mean, even even a guy like you who knows so much, you course corrected when you heard what your audience was really interested in. Yeah. Um, so here's my question. So what is, so what was it like actually making that thing compared to like writing a bunch of blog posts and doing all the marketing sort of stuff you had previously been doing? You had to switch gears and actually make this thing. Was it a big change? Yeah. To be honest with you, writing blog posts and growing a blog is a lot easier than creating a course. And one of the main reasons why that is the case is because when you're creating a blog, you're often thinking about things individually. Here's this one blog post, this one podcast, this one video. When you're creating a course, you're creating a roadmap Mm -hmm. and you're trying to walk people from point A to point Z. And you're trying to envision the problems they're going to have before they have them. So your course addresses these problems. Now, this is something in the beginning I struggled with. I personally struggled with creating this roadmap because that isn't how my brain personally works. Yeah. At that time, my brain worked, you know, kind of out of chaos a little bit. Yeah. So it took a lot of a lot of prep work to really design this user path before I would get it right. And actually, before I launched that first product, I think I was developing it. I don't have the exact dates on the top of my head right now, but it started around October 2011, and I didn't actually launch it until the end of April or the beginning of May 2012. Mm. So it took me several months, I think about six months it was, to put that thing together. Mm of active work. Yeah. Because I was I was so concerned with that user flow. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally resonate. That it's it's definitely a different different mindset altogether. Okay, here's my last question for you, right, Derek? Mr. Derek Halpern of socialtriggers.com. Uh, going back to that Derek, all right, who's who's sitting down to make his first 
um, his first product ever. Okay, besides that one point that you just made about it's a really different to to do a blog post than it is to do a course, right? To think in terms of this roadmap and coach them all the way from step A to, to step Z. Um, if you could go back to that Derek, who's just about just sitting down to like get ready to make this po- product, what do you wish you could tell him? What do you wish you would have known before you started out doing this? Oh, that's easy. I would have spent less time. Like I would have told Derek, hey, don't spend six months creating this course. Instead, put it together in two months and then get people to go through it. Mm. A small amount of people and then get their feedback and then adjust course and then redevelop it to do the final version in six months or whatnot. To actually get people into the training earlier in the process so I can get real feedback. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, to that point, any any tips to someone out there who's already kind of thinking about trying to do something like that? Well, it's it really depends on what they're trying to build, right? Because there's different types of courses. If you're creating a a small entry level training or an eight week long intensive training. It's the tips would vary mm-hmm. depending on who I'm talking to, obviously. But if I had to give a universal tip, yeah. the thing I would say is to launch it sooner than later. I mean, that's, that's really that's it. You kind of know what you want to, tr- you kind of know what you want to build, get it done as fast as possible, get 10 people into it, whether they paid to join or not. And get them to go through it and say, if you give away that course to those 10 people, say, look, you're getting access to this for free, but what I want in return is X, Y, and Z, which is like, you know, detailed descriptions of everything that you're going through. Yeah. All right, Derek. So I just want to say thank you for being on the Fizzle Show. Uh, Where can people find you if they wanted to, to, you know, get in touch with you and maybe get on your email list? The best way to, to find me is to go to socialtriggers.com and to sign up for the email list. That's where I send out weekly videos, podcasts, free ebooks, webinars, etc. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Here's Dan and Tom, founders of studioneat.com, purveyors of insanely successful Kickstarter campaigns, makers of delightful products like the Glyph, a tripod mount for your iPhone, and the Cosmonaut, the world's best fatty iPad stylus. Something to look for here in their conversation is what was the secret to them getting huge, huge bloggers to share their Kickstarter campaigns? Tell me a little bit about making your first product. Um, well, hmm. I think the first product that Dan and I both had that we sold to the public was with Studio Neat. Yeah. Um, and it was the Glyph. Um, I think we both maybe me a little bit more than Dan had um, kind of made fake products uh-huh. um, in the past. And so, you know, I made a couple things that were either jokey or um, just silly or at least like released a piece of software. Um, and I see this all the time actually in my students as well that I teach this stuff to. And it, it's, I think it was really helpful for me kind of pretending um, that I was making products like throughout my history. So, going through the motions of branding and telling the story of it. And even though there wasn't really a place to buy it, it was kind of like a fake it till you make it kind of situation. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, I think the hardest part for us still and the hardest part 
um, of making these things that are going to go out into the world that are going to be a product is knowing how kind of perfect to make it and like when to stop and just kind of, you know, ship it is the cliche. Yeah. Um, and the advice I kind of always give people is, you know, just conf- just start with the rough draft. Because I see lots of people, they get really hung up on trying to make it really perfect and plan everything before they even start. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to just do a rough draft, like get it out there. When Dan and I first made the glyph, um, it was a really rough draft prototype um, that we started with. Um, and then, you know, even the thing that we ended up kind of selling on Kickstarter to kind of start our company was really rough draft and prototypey. Mm. And because we had that motivation to have to make it because the Kickstarter was successful, yeah. um, we had no choice. We just had to go with it and make the choices. And it didn't come out perfect. And there's lots of things I, we both cringe at of like our first run, but um, it was good enough. And people liked it, and then we get better, you know. Yeah, yeah. interesting, Dan. Anything to add to that? Uh, no, that was a pretty good summation. I mean, I think another thing that was important is we there was like in my mind there was basically no pressure at all because we were doing it for fun. We we're doing it on the side. We hadn't uh, shoved all of our chips into the middle of the table. We still had our full time jobs, so this thing could have totally flopped and it would have been fine you know it would have been a little bit sad but we there wasn't a huge amount of risk involved so uh it was like a very kind of safe and like nice feeling thing to do nice yeah i don't know what's interesting is uh and a handful of people that i've talked to like you can hear the, the first product idea just kind of fell out from work that they were already doing, mostly a lot of like client work or something like that, um, working a lot with people around this question, getting a lot of questions about this particular thing over here. So they just made that thing to serve uh, all those people asking that question kind of, you know, with the glyph and, <coughs> excuse me, and the cosmonaut, in some ways, I, I'm, wonder, I'm more curious with, with you guys, where did these ideas actually come from? And, and just, just tell me the the one from the glyph, where did that idea actually come from? Uh, that just came, you know, basically out of necessity. Uh, this, so this was to the summer of 2010 and the iPhone four had just came out and we were kind of realizing what a great camera it had on it. And it was, uh, I always say it was, it was like the best camera I had actually ever owned because I had never, you know, had it, an SLR or anything like that. So yeah. this, this tiny phone that fits in my pocket was now the best video camera and still camera that I had ever owned. So I, I was thinking of it in that mindset. And so it, it was a kind of natural mm. thought progression to think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to you know mount this thing to a tripod so you can actually treat it like a real camera? Yeah. Um, and so that was just like the seed of the idea. And, you know, I mentioned it to Tom and we thought that it had legs and, uh, and then we just kind of started brainstorming on it. Now, what if I remember correctly from your guys' original Kickstarter with the Glyph, I mean, that thing just blew up so fast. And I don't think at that time you guys had as many connections as you do now since you've been making this sort of stuff. So like, and I remember there was like a Gruber tweet or blog post or something like that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, is it, did you just luck out in that regard? I think so. I mean, not completely. So definitely lightning happened that we were one of the first thing people to do hardware on Kickstarter Mm -hmm. uh, for one. Also it happened to 
our product touched it like played with the iOS like Apple ecosystem which mm-hmm. super helped and then Dan had had some contact with uh, John Gruber a little bit previous to that basically he had like sent him a couple links I think John had maybe linked to your blog once and so there was a tiny bit of rapport there yeah but but really we just really knew who our audience was and who would be the person who would like this so you know we weren't just like spamming people I think Dan casually sent an email to Gruber, but he knew how to send the email to Gruber. And he yeah. knew probably that Gruber would like it. And so it kind of made sense. But yeah, I mean, we tripled our goal in the first day. So it was like, you know, <laughs> crazy. It was like lightning. I mean, it really was. Yeah. Okay. So now looking back, um, what do you wish you would have known before you got started with, with the glyph? What, what's one thing that you wish you would have known? And, and mm. you, you know, Tom, you might have already answered this in the whole, like, the hardest part is, is knowing how perfect to make it thing. I know that, we, I mean, we, we certainly deal with that over here, and I know loads of founders. That seems to be a, just a real common thread. Um, but besides that one, is there something else that you would, you would tell to your, to your past selves as they're sitting there whittling away on this idea for the glyph? <laughs> I, uh, I would say no, actually. And the reason why I think that's my answer is because Dan and I had not planned make to start a business and yeah. we were so kind of dumb about it and naive, everything we did was very organic um, and very kind of needed to happen. And because of that, um, we made a lot of choices that we were very comfortable with um, and that made a lot of sense. And I think if we, if I would have stepped out and gave myself an advice, um, it might have, might have been too soon or just like the wrong thing to say. Yeah, interesting. So you're saying that you needed to cut your teeth on this thing this way. But I would also say that we actually kind of had a past self come and tell us some <laughs> advice. So, um, you know, Dodo Case, Patrick, y- yeah, as one yeah. of the founders of Dodo Case, uh, we had a meeting with him like, a couple days after the Kickstarter blew up and he was like, listen, guys, I was just in your position six months ago. Here's some things to think about. And he pointed us to Shipwire, who do, who do our fulfillment, uh-huh. and Shopify, who do our e-commerce. So we really benefited from his kind of very specific domain knowledge and yeah. saying, hey, do these two things. And those are probably some of the most important decisions we made. Um, so it's kind of like we had our past selves coming in and saying, oh, you know. That's good, yeah. It's like a, it's like a Christmas story. Or it's, a, exactly. it's, a Scrooge, it's some Scrooge action. You guys got <laughs> Scrooge. All right, Dan, anything to add to that? Uh, the, whenever I think about this question, I always... So I think Tom's right. Generally, no. I think it was great that we were kind of naive and we learned quickly as we went along. Um, just to like drill down to a very specific example, um, this might be overly specific, but even though we had this aim for simplicity in terms of how our Kickstarter campaign was uh, laid out and all the reward tiers and things like that, we still there is still a lot of messy logistics in terms of like international shipping and and like confusing logistical things like that that yeah. we could have cleaned up and, and done a lot simpler had we have known. Got it. Okay, so just those those details that you just didn't even have a brain to think through at that point. Right, right. Got it. All right, guys, well, well, what were you going to say, Tom? I was just saying, in general, Dan reminded me, uh, logistics and the shipping and just the the fulfillment of things is significantly harder than anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And the customer service attached to that. So I would say that is kind of 
definitely true. Like that's that is the, a big thing. Oh, got it. So that that's the thing that that's the snake in the the snake in the grass. That's right. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, guys, thanks so much for taking this time and having this call. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No and here's Danielle Laporte, hot and steamy writer at daniellelaporte.com and creator of the Desire Map, a holistic approach to life planning. Look for the two specific mistakes that she mentions towards the end. They're real good to know about. So, Danielle, uh, tell us about the first product that you created for a business. The first product was called the Firestarter Sessions, and uh, it was a digital experience. So it was multimedia. It's really important to speak multimedia. And uh, it was about entrepreneurship. I think the subtitle at the time was Defining Success on Your Own Terms or something sexy like that. Uh And it was 150 bucks. And that was uh, five or six years ago. Yeah. I think I remember you had, uh, you were actually doing services around the same thing at the time, right? Yeah, I I was on the road. I went to 16 cities in a year, and I did quote-unquote fire starter session groups, which just about killed me. And uh, that, and I was doing one-on-one coaching with entrepreneurs. More, I didn't call myself a coach. It was it was strategy work. Mm-hmm. It was actually just I was just really opinionated. <laughs> Which is good. Um, sometimes, at least, people like to hire people who are opinionated, I think. Yeah. So what was the uh, the logic there from going from services to group uh, strategy sessions to doing a full-on digital experience? Well, there was logic, and then there was just pure heart-centered creativity. So the heart part of it was that I knew I had something to offer. I had... I had a lot of experience. I'd been around the block a few times in terms of startups. And I had something to share that I knew in my bones was useful. And I also knew that, you know, I could feel like a queue, a lineup of various creative projects. And if I didn't attend to this particular one, this, this one on entrepreneurship, at that time, I knew it was going to wither on the vine and the door was going to close. I was never going to get to it again. I was going to move on. So I really felt a real strong impulse. And this is really important. Like, you need to feel the surge. You need to feel 100% enthusiastic. Like, this is the time for this to come out. So there was that. And then there was the logic of scalability. Like, I, you know, I could not keep doing one-on-one sessions at an hour to 90 minutes a a call Mm -hmm. forever. And I wanted to make more money. I wanted to own my copyright. And then also personally, I needed to have it done. I was in the middle of a divorce. I needed to make, I need to, I needed like about 30 grand to get on with my new life. And uh, so it was heart, it was smart, and it was pure survival. And did all of that drive and all of those different reasons, did that lead to um, you being able to create the product very quickly or was there any sort of delay or dragging your feet? Oh, there was no delay. There was no delay at all. Um, I'm not a delayer to begin with. I Mm -hmm. really, you know, I really take a page out of Seth Godin's book, just like ship it. Yep. Get it out. It's, It's never going to feel perfect ever, ever. I've launched does, I've launched many things now, big, small, every form of media, never feels done. I want to rewrite every book I ever did. I want to re-record every audio. Just get it out the door. You will. This The beauty of online product development is that you have 
you have the space and you have the latitude. You have the luxury to iterate. You can fi- you can do 2.0. You can do 3.0. You can fix it later. Get some feedback. Um, what was the question? Just if there was any delay. It sounds like there wasn't. You just oh. you just went out there and got it done. How how long did it take from start to finish? Uh, it was, I do everything quickly. Um, oh, January. I think I might have announced. <laughs> I might have announced on like in December that I was coming out with it. So I didn't even know what it was. And I announced it was launching on April 17th. Mm. So that's another thing, like declare your launch date yep. and, and is very motivating. And I I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. I, I mean, I knew I had something and there was a sketch of it. I knew that I needed to, as I've said, speak multimedia. So I was going to do a video component. I did not know how to work iMovie mm-hmm. when I said I would do that. That the same week I announced I was going to do it, I had a friend, Amanda Farrow, who's a web designer, meet me in a cafe and in an hour teach me how to work it. And, you know, I, I did them all. I did, <laughs> I did the, I shot it in black and white because I wanted to be somewhat avant-garde. Um, but also because I didn't have time to muck around with like great lighting or anything and I could just mess with the contrast in black and white. Yep. Um, yeah. I designed it myself in Word. Uh, which was ridiculous. Yep. Uh, cost me about four grand with some design help and a little bit of editing and the VA support that I had at the time. I put all of that on a credit card. And I, the most important thing I, well, one of the most important things I did um, in terms of thriving and surviving was I did a pre order campaign for it. And I just, I, you know, it wasn't, it's not in my nature to do any kind of velvet rope marketing where it's, you know, it's a hundred bucks today, but tomorrow it's going to be $150. And I certainly could never do anything that was $49.99. I just, it's not me. I just like clean, simple, elegant. And I decided let's get the party started. I want to raise the visibility. I also want to get the money flowing and I need some response to this material. See, let's really make sure I'm on the right track. So about six weeks before my launch date, I announced that people could order it in advance and they would get a chapter ahead of time. They wouldn't get a discount. They weren't going to get anything extra for ordering. It's just they could get it. They could, they could pay for it now and get a chapter because they were that excited mm-hmm. because they wanted to support my work. And that was my first $30,000 day. So people really responded to that that pre-sale offer. They sure did. It was great. It was wow. beautiful. That I must cried. have that must have felt great. It did. I mean, I sat in my little attic <laughs> and I cried. It was great. Looking back on the experience, is there anything that you would have done differently, uh, knowing what you know now? Yeah. Oh, Adobe Acrobat can suck it. So I tried to work with Adobe in terms of like my fonts and everything and it wasn't converting. I was losing my Helvetica when I switched over to Mac. So I would have probably, I don't know if I would have done it. No, actually, no. I mean, I learned a lot, but there's not much I would have done differently. You know, what I was about to say is I would have gotten a, a pro graphic designer on board, but that would have bumped my cost by about two grand and it would have slowed me down by about two weeks. So no, I, I 
I hit it out of the park on the first one at that level. Uh, and I've, I do a lot now that I did then, which is I launch on crazy timelines. That's changing a little bit because I have people who, you know, want to stay healthy. We all want to stay. I'm more committed to like healthy living now. Yep. So I give myself more time to get out the door, although it never seems to work that way. And uh, I do, I've got great graphic designers now. But it's the same, it's the same theory and the same psychology of launching. Um, be totally turned on by it. Give yourself a deadline. Uh, and give it your all. And talk about the process while you're doing it. You know, I was really very communicative. I shared a lot, like, you know, dear Twitter, I just finished my last chat. Dear Twitter, I just interviewed so-and-so. And I was really transparent about what it took to pull it off. And I was, you know, this is another learning. <laughs> like the, a few days before launch, I wrote a post about how nervous I was to launch. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, may look all like, schmancy and polished on the outside but if you're doing art you know if you're making you're doing your best you're going to have some you're going to have be nervous about it you're going to feel exposed and that actually turned into a lot of sales because <laughs> people you know i was just being like completely vulnerable and people were like i love your vulnerability i want to buy three copies and yep. that turned into its own other kind of pre-order thing. And maybe they're just curious. They want to see for themselves why you're so nervous when everything seems to be so polished on the outside. Yeah. And they were like, no reason to be nervous. This is fucking great. (laughs) It all worked out. Well, that was five years ago, and um, you've gone on to launch many more things. Uh, You just recently launched the Desire Map, and uh, was there any new thing that you tried or learned from that new launch? Oh, God, Yes. Uh, well, we, we launched a whole collection. So we launched a new version of the desire map print book, but then I did like, uh, there's two new audios. There's eight, you know, eight hours worth of audio. There's a journal, there's a day planner for 2014. There's a series of workbooks. These are all in print. This is insane. And then everything's available in digital. And I needed to get, you know, the, the, uh, the day planners, all the hardcover stuff, mm-hmm. you know, with this like velvety cover and there's a ribbon, you know, these are expensive to produce. Um, and so we wanted to get a ballpark figure for our printer and I didn't, we didn't have time to do a pre-order cause we were doing so many things at once. So I put it out on the site and social media uh, like, hey, <laughs> if I do a day planner and launch it in the first week of December, who's in? I'm not asking for your money now. I don't need your credit card. Just like, you know, hypothetically speaking, who would order this and how many would you order? And we got like thousands of people. Oh, I want one. I want one. That did not translate to sales in the first week. So forget it. You need to get people's money or you need to ball, you know, look into a crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did we learn? I learned the thing. I, I do the same thing every time. It's the same mistake I always make, which is, you know, I launch it and then I kind of take my foot off the pedal in terms of promotion mm-hmm. because I'm so sensitive to, I don't want to be too loud. I don't want to be too obnoxious. I'm really not a salesperson. I am a writer and I just, I'm really into radiance <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now we're hustling this week. We're like, you know, we really should do something on Facebook <laughs> to 
<laughs> to promote this. This really is the biggest sales month of the year. Uh, so yeah, we're 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 like doing ads now. We should have done them like six weeks ago. But whatever. It's all it's 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 good fun and it's successful. Exactly. There's always next time. Danielle, thank you uh, so much for sharing all of this with us. You're welcome. just listened to uh, three Derek Calpern Studio Neat uh, which is Dan and Tom and then uh, Danielle Laporte and uh, I don't know my head's still sort of reeling I still love just listening to these back to back like this you know how's that feel Oh God! Can you fill in the gap for someone who's who hasn't heard the last episode? Oh, in case you didn't hear the the last episode, we were talking about how like sometimes Skype has a delay and it makes you feel like a dick because you say something (laughs) like really I don't know heartfelt and then everybody is delayed in responding and you're just like, oh, I guess it didn't have the impact I was looking for. And (laughs) then at the end of that episode, I said something and Chase just waited like three pregnant seconds to say anything and Caleb was in on it. You guys should go listen to that episode and relive the good times. It's See, the good. problem is that Chase edits these, so he could take out all the pauses that are, you know, negative towards That's his true. end of the deal. And oh yeah, no, everything I say lands super good. I have like a pause button here. It's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I said. Hey, wrecked him. <laughs> Damn near killed him. <laughs> you just have Caleb and I like snickering on yeah. on an applause track. I I have just I have a a, a lot of a, an assortment of <laughs> <laughs> that I can For throw me, in yeah. there. <laughs> okay, um, so first of all, you guys have cocktails. Do you have things that you're ready to drink and talk? There's the there's the jingle from Corbett. I actually yeah. don't. I was yeah, yeah. Uh, I was editing a video up until right before this, and I didn't have time. Mm. Priorities, Caleb. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's well, right. you were up, also up super late. You just last have to night keep the the, the Mad Men style stocked bar in your office. Yeah, yeah. My wife does want a cart in here, and I'm like, that's only because we've been watching Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> only alcoholics and people that watch Mad Men have it drink really carts. Work. Yeah, yeah. It's a, that's the hardest thing, dude. Is the ice. The ice is so critical, and without it, secretaries, it's so yeah, hard to have at the at the place where you make the drink right you know it's the worst gosh modern yeah. life am i right first okay so in this episode what i want to do is first of all i do want to talk a little bit about what we just heard in those three uh stories but then also i kind of i want to focus our conversation uh towards a lot of people aren't selling their thing yet they haven't made their thing yet because we live in a culture uh online of of like this conversion oriented craze you know everybody's everybody's like well what if i do it and it doesn't convert very well or what if i do it and it's not the best possible way of doing it or or whatever like like you could just guess that right off the bat and just do that you know so i want to alleviate some of those fears because i don't because i i for my for myself i felt that before where it's like I would do this, but then I'd have to think through all these conversion and sales stuff, and I, I'm excited to do that. But I just find myself keep pushing it off. Well, and it, it just what's that? And and again, it's like it's everywhere, right? This this um just this cultural interest in how well launches do. Everyone seems yeah. to be aware of because, like Kickstarter, for example, they kind of drive that behavior because you get to see what's someone's funding goal. Do they blow it out of the water, you know, or do they yeah. not quite make it and then their whole project fails? Whereas in real life, if you don't quite make your goal, it doesn't mean your project fails. It's just that it didn't quite meet your expectations or whatever. So 
Um, and, and the same thing with Wall Street. It's like if you know the new iPhone doesn't do quite as well as everybody thought, then all of a sudden the stock goes down for Apple. Whereas yeah. in, in your life, your stock doesn't go down. You're learning something from the launch, and you're putting products out there, which is important because if you don't do that, then again, you're just playing business. You don't actually have one on your hands. Ooh, that's a good little metaphor. Your stock doesn't go down. And it's not also, it's not just because you're, you're, uh, your skills are getting better or you're learning something. It's also because, like Leo mentioned in, in his story, uh, I think on the first episode, two episodes ago in this series, like you're building trust with these people over time. It's not about you sell them right now or you're never going to have a chance again. It's not a high stakes sort of situation. It's about creating a relationship over the long haul and we're going all in on making that bet that that is the way to run a successful profitable business that you can be proud of as opposed to doing some sort of fake fire sale where it's it's 150 dollars today but it's going up in 13 hours you know it's doubling in price and that's fine do that that's not sleazy right necessarily doesn't have to be yeah, because and, like like Anne was talking about, uh, she doubled and then tripled her her price of her product or something, right? Because yep. it was worth that much. And so you could imagine towards the end of those those, those la- that last day at one hundred and fifty dollars before it goes to three hundred bucks, uh, like yeah, let's do a promotion for everybody who's been around, who's thought about it. Listen, you're going to get it for fifty percent less than you'd get it any time in the future. Right? Yeah, and that's you not know? sleazy if that's actually true, and it's <laughs> yeah. an absolute. This price goes up. And it's not just a page that no matter when someone goes to it, it's like, oh, 24 yeah. hours, like an infomercial. Like, yeah, those absolutely. are all fake. Like, all the, at the end of this infomercial, the price goes up. They just yeah. play those whenever, all over the country. You know, totally. So, totally. Yeah. It's just a tactic. Like, we know. So, some of those conversion and copywriting tactics, like, there's so many of them. That's fine. Go do, go look at Copy Blogger or somewhere to, like, find out how to do this, that, and the other. What I really want to encourage listeners to do is, is to just focus on the relationship with the people over time. You know, like, we're in, like, we could be honest. Like, we're in a, a situation right now with, with the Sparkline and where we combined the thing, we combined Think Traffic with the Sparkline. And, and we did this big press launch about that big press launch, whatever. We, we sent out some emails and we made a <laughs> blog post. Uh, but we did, did as much education as we can. But we still get a lot of people unsubscribing because they actually don't know when they get a Sparkline email that it's from the same guys who are doing Think Traffic. Um, and, and it's that relationship again that we're trying to foster, and we apparent we had with some people we haven't with we get weirdly I get a lot you guys probably do as well I've seen a lot of emails of people saying like so happy about this change one guy on Facebook wrote like I'm just excited to be a part of like watching this this is so cool to see what's going on um, so by and large the so many people are so excited about the changes but there's a silent minority who who didn't know you know doesn't understand and connect those dots and that's on us to to not that we have to you know not that i'm a, I, I stay up at nights thinking about it but it's something that we care about because it's not about some conversion it's not about something we did wrong in the launch it's just human capital it's things that get uh that 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 happens it, it, does that make sense i mean they may have missed the announcement post among yeah. the 10 other emails that we accidentally sent everyone <laughs> That yeah. was such a debacle. So, I mean, we, we're, we're learning so much. But so for us, for conversion stuff, let's think about our own story. I always, I always think it's, I like to try to think about it that way because at least that we're forced to be honest. 
like with the homepage of Fizzle, right? This is the, this is what conversion looks like to us is that page. Someone landing on that page and then and then saying, "You know what? This is worth the dollar to sign up. Let's do it." Well, and we, and for us, I mean, I I think we've gotten much broader with our conversion funnel, if we want to call it that, and in terms of how we think yeah. about it, because we know that someone who actually clicks the button to sign up for Fizzle um, most likely has been reading our blog posts or uh, listening to the Fizzle show, and yeah. and so our goal now is mostly just to get people to become aware of us and to actually listen to what we have to say, because we know that that's going to lead to the right kinds of people actually signing up for the things that we sell and this soft sell is what we've been doing for a while now we haven't been pitching very hard we haven't been running ads for a while we're not actively going externally and trying to get featured a bunch of places this is just kind of what we're doing we're showing that we supposedly know what we're talking about and that we have experience (laughs) and that we know how to do this thing and that is what eventually leads people to sales and you know the the more times you interact with a customer i don't like these words touch a customer because it just sounds weird <laughs> you and you and josh ship said stuff about that in the interview yeah. and it had me cracking up while i was editing it so, <laughs> so i don't want to use the word touch a customer but high touch high touch yeah <laughs> i like to go for the high touch and the low touch yeah as long as i'm as long as i'm touching you corbett don't go there again come on <laughs> i thought we had a truce so the more times you interact with your audience or your potential oh, yeah. customer, the more uh, likely yeah, they are to trust yeah, Interaction you. works better. Yeah, trust me. There's no way to innuendo interaction. That's true. <laughs> that is a good interaction. You know what? That was a really good interaction, you guys. I need a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but well, let's back up for a second though, because uh, maybe I'm making too many assumptions here. I mean, what is conversion? We're using this word conversion. We're not talking about a religious experience. We're not talking about you, uh, you <laughs> running through the hills of Oregon with, with a leaf uh, on as, as your speedo, uh, joining a, a new cult or something like that. We're talking about when someone, someone converting from, I could be interested in this to actually buying the thing. And now a conversion actually doesn't necessarily mean purchasing. It's a conversion could also action. mean, yeah. yeah, getting, you know, they land on the spark line, they land on a blog post there, they read it, they're like excited about it. And that little sidebar uh, thing asks, you know, if you like this, sign up, add your email, which by the way, listener, if you haven't a- entered your email there, the spark line, you should, we send you an email every week, you're going to like it. Uh, it, we do a good, we do good work putting good things together for you. And you'll get an email every time we let, uh, we send a podcast out into the wild to run amok in your ear holes. So that's a conversion as well. It's going someone from a, just a casual visitor to a subscriber, you know, yeah. quote unquote. Um, so conversion means, uh, when we talk about conversion, we're talking about the, the ways in which we could set up our page to most maximize the amount of people that go from, from a casual visitor to an email subscriber or a, or a buyer or a, a something like or that. Or even right? a commenter it, or a sharer. Yeah, and it's important. It, it, it's important stuff because you, someone might be very well ready to buy the thing. They just didn't see the buy button or they didn't know it was for sale or they didn't know there was an email list or that there was something that they could get from that that they would find valuable, right? Yeah. So here's my big point on conversion stuff. Um, and I found this, I'll go find the link and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, 
There was an article I saw recently, and I didn't even read much of it. I just was like, yep, that's awesome. Because it was all about conversion. I think it was by Kiss Metrics. I think it was on the Kiss Metrics blog. And it was about, listen, if you care so much about conversion optimization and this, that, and the other, what you need to do is you need to make a page that's incredibly useful. That is the key to conversion, is, is answering people's questions. They have questions about your product, okay? We're talking specifically about your product. You've got a thing about how husbands and wives could use, cal- could use Google Calendar together. You've made a little page that has the buy button that takes them to PayPal or Gumroad or something, right? Uh, and uh, what you need to do is try to get them to click that button and then complete that purchase. Well, in the meantime, they have questions, They don't necessarily know how much easier this is going to make their life. They don't necessarily know who you are and if you're trustworthy. So maybe having a quote from someone who's bought the thing saying like, oh my God, this was super helpful. They don't necessarily know what's going to come in the thing if it's going to be worth the $9 that you charge for it. So might might, might have a table of contents or some sort of thing there that's saying, here's what's in this thing. You see, it's not about these conversions and copywriting tactics. It's about saying, oh, here's the person coming to my page. They have these kinds of questions. I'll go ahead and answer those questions in uh, an honest and trustworthy way. I mean, that we've gotten so off base in our search for this stuff. You see this whole industry of conversion optimization and copywriting and all this other stuff that grew out of what was essentially a business owner who was very curious and in touch with his audience. I don't Corbett, do you do you feel like it it it's this is the case? Well, there's two other aspects to that though. The first is you have to be careful that you're not just putting lipstick on a pig, meaning that the thing, the underlying thing that you created isn't actually interesting to people. So you're trying to dress it up so that they'll still buy it, even though they don't care about it. And, you know, that's always the big question when somebody has a launch and it doesn't go well. It's like, was it because the underlying thing wasn't valuable enough or because you didn't describe it well enough on the, uh, on the sales page. But there's also this other thing that happens in between there. You can think about a, a visitor that comes to your site who knows nothing about you, they land on your sales page, and does your sales page do a good enough job to explain things to them? But for the majority of people who buy during a launch window, something that you're opening and closing, probably they're already aware of you. They've probably been subscribed to your email list, or they've been following you on Twitter or whatever. And leading up to the launch, you have all of these opportunities to expose them to the different aspects of this thing that you're about to sell and to get them familiar with it, to to pre-answer all of their questions. And so there's this very important thing, which is what context does someone have who lands on your page as well? And how can you improve that context so that when they do land on your page, of course, you still need the sales page to answer the questions and um, to make sure that the page itself is valuable in terms of explaining your thing. But what do people know about it when they land on your page? And a lot of times, this is the thing where people feel like, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. And if you do that without sort of leading up to the launch and explaining things to people, then they're much less likely to buy because you've missed that opportunity. And mm. conversion percents are a thing that people like to throw around as fancy stats and stuff. Yeah. But you always say this, Corbett, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the stats based on what kind of traffic was it. If you mm-hmm. want email subscribers from StumbleUpon, good luck. It's going to be like 0.0001% conversion or something. If it's yeah. email subscribers from maybe a guest post or something, it's going to be higher than that. If it's email subscribers from people on your homepage just typing in directly, maybe it's even higher. So it really depends on where the traffic comes from. 
Yep, absolutely. And and that's you can't you can't compare your numbers to somebody else's, the raw numbers. It's just not going to make sense. And it's going to make one of you feel bad about how well you're doing because you just don't know where, like you said, the, the quality of the traffic really matters. And um, that's not something you can really put a number on necessarily. So what are the, what, like, what are the conversion quote unquote tips that you guys know of? Well, don't choose too many things to track, I would say. Know mm-hmm. what things you really want to track and just track them consistently and over long periods of time and then test them. So find a couple different ways to do them. A-B test them either manually in your you know, MailChimp or AWeber uh, back in there or use a tool like Visual Website Optimizer like we use. You are one of the best back-end interaction guys that I know. Mm, so There's interaction, interaction again. See, you see, when you add back-end to it, it makes it way worse. <laughs> makes it way Especially dirtier. when you're talking about a chimp. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so here, here's my, my little thing about the uh, conversion on, the, on, on a homepage or a sales yeah. page or whatever. It's really fun to read about um, case studies where someone changed a button from blue to red, and all of a sudden their, their <coughs> conversion rate tripled. Uh, but that doesn't really happen very often, and yeah. in, in reality, the, the more important things are the big, substantive things on your page, not a button color or a button placement or where you put the FAQ or whatever. More important than that, the most important thing probably is the overarching headline and how impactful that headline is, how clear it is to the people that are landing on your page, how... Um, how much it draws them in and gets them to start reading and, and dissecting the sales page. Because just like a blog post, when someone lands on that page, each thing at the top of the page has one job to do, and that's basically to get someone to go the next step, which is to read the next sentence or ex- yeah. you know, or experience the next section on your page. So you have this like cascading role of responsibilities that starts with the headline, moves down to the subhead, moves to the first sentence in the first paragraph, moves into the first paragraph, moves into the big you know video or diagram or whatever it is that you have, um, and then you know depending on if you have a video or you have a diagram or something that explains your product, and that thing is really effective. If you know that if someone watches this video, they're much more likely to buy, then your goal is to get them to watch that video, right? So you need to be thinking about these big substantive things that really get at the heart of what the value of your product is, as opposed to worrying about the little ticky-tacky things that are three-quarters of the way down the page. Um, those can matter because maybe somebody has, you know, maybe the headline draws them in, they read the paragraphs at the at the top, they're hooked, but then they have this burning question like, okay, that's great, but is it for me in my situation because I already know X, Y, and Z, and does this really help someone like me? Well, then maybe there's an FAQ question that's going to put that person over the top and make them actually buy, and if you excluded it, then they'd have a question, they'd go searching for the answer, and then look, squirrel, and then they'd be off, you know, doing something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And can we yeah. give a shout out to Pat Flynn's post from yesterday about his whole redesign yeah. uh, analytics you, and stats mean, of what you he mean was... from like three weeks ago, Caleb, or a month yeah, ago? Yeah, when this pub, when this goes out, it'll oh. be three weeks ago. But but yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. So Pat Flynn <laughs> of smartpassiveincome.com wrote a mega details behind the scene new design of uh or be, yeah behind the new design of the smart passive income blog. So we worked together Corbett and Kayla, Corbett and I 
went down there and did some sort of like strategy with Pat. And then I designed it with him. And, and it was like, we were all, I had already get, stopped doing client work at this time, but this was kind of like the last, last one. Um, Except for the other Pat, one. Pat wanted, well, actually, well, Nerd Fitness came before that, right? You're, are you talking about Nerd Fitness? Yeah. Yeah. So Nerd Fitness actually came before that. And then Pat Flynn was the very last one. Um, gotcha. And we, I wanted, I wanted to work with Pat as well. And We'd been talking about working together for a long time. So we, we did it. And Pat wrote this huge blog post talking about every step along the way. The first half is like, here's what Chase did. It's great. It broke my sight. <laughs> <laughs> People were falling off. Well, the <laughs> biggest then, thing was he started tracking things immediately yeah. when they flipped the switch to the new design. And this is something you talk about, Chase, in your design course and Fizzle is your redesign is not an event. It's like a season. You put it all in place. You launch it. You track a bunch of stuff to see if it's doing what you want it to do. And if people are actually clicking the things you want them to click on. And Pat goes all into that in this post. He talks about how his podcast downloads like went way down. And yeah. then he realizes because, okay, you couldn't quickly find the players. He wasn't featuring them prominently. And so he put them in better places and had the players be more active because more people would watch it on his website and so then the stats went even higher than before because he made these changes and so it's just a really interesting post to see this whole process because it took about a year from when you guys went down there to this yeah. blog post <laughs> yeah it was like and i remember and interacting remember. with him over the time he had other projects going on he kept moving it but he was always totally. working on it and testing it after it launched and you know it's performing as he wanted it to originally yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's been quite a process, and, it, and I, I mean, that's exactly it. You nailed it, Caleb. Like, it's about the fact that he was tracking things. He had goals. Podcast downloads was a goal. Uh, email subscribers was a goal. Um, speaking of, like, one gr- amazing conversion tip in that thing that I actually was like, "Whoa, we got to try this, guys!" is that two-step conversion thing. Yeah, where you have a button, and then that just the the button is like, "Hey, one, you know, find out more or get started." Yeah, I love that. I want to try that. And then it pops up this quick little good looking little uh, pop up right there that says, okay, you know, enter your email. Because it, you know what I think that works is because, like, for instance, on the spark line on the sidebar, you see, oh, I have to enter my email and I get the thing. So I'm already predisposed to not do it, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's really a, really a great value proposition, even if it's something that's telling me, like, oh, I really, it's something I really, really want. I already know I have to give up my email to do it. However, when I click that button, because a button looks really easy, especially if it's big and green, you know, or whatever. It looks really easy to click. I know I'm used to clicking buttons all day long. It has no emotional value to me. It's just, it's excitement about what could be around this pen. You know, it's the opportunity. As opposed to the email, there's no opportunity there. You know what you're doing. You're giving your email. You know, it doesn't feel like a surprise or a delight. And then you do that. And then, okay, so a pop-up comes up telling you the next step. Well, we know that once you've taken one step, you're a little bit more likely to take that next step. Because you've kind of started this little uh, this little inertia that you've already invested a little bit. Now you have to, in order to go backwards, you have to say like, well, I was wrong and I was dumb to have clicked that button, which we as humans are just not, we're, we're kind of predisposed to not doing, not saying to ourselves. So anyways, for all those reasons, I think that's a really interesting uh, thing, whatever. I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm trying to get people not to do, which is fiddle around with the conversion stuff. But we're at a point now where if we can increase conversion, to email by a, by a percentage or two, we can increase revenue. 
and happy, satisfied customers. Right. Yeah, and you when, know, you, when and you're first starting out, your conversions are you know just really basic things. Pat has a site that's five years old, if not more than that, with almost 100 podcast episodes and t- tons of blog posts and resources and all that stuff. And so it was important for him to figure out what people were doing now that he had this new design. Yeah. And there were a lot of things to track because he's been doing this for a long time and he knows which things are important for him to track. But when you first yeah, started out, think of one or two things that you want people to do. Maybe it's yeah, shares or comments. Totally. And then it's email subscribers and then it's buying and you know slowly build up to tracking a lot of things. <coughs> yeah. And, and uh, okay, go for this, it, Corbett. So this um this relates to something that we're going to hear in an upcoming interview in this series that we're doing on the podcast here. But there, there's this idea of the of the launch as a big event, obviously. And, and the launch is important because a lot of people show up, especially when you're launching a product. But there's this concept of the long tail of your product, right? It's going to be around for a while. Pat's blog Buzzword is going bingo. to be around Who's for planned? a while. What's that? Who's playing buzzword bingo for yeah, long exactly. tail there? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so... Pat, in a way, was almost an ideal client for you, Chase, because you've often advocated this. The thing is, with a design, you can you come at it with the right theories in mind in terms of understanding your audience and articulating what you do in the right way. But then when it comes to the little ways that people are interacting with your site and where they're navigating, you really need to pay attention to that over time and then sort of tweak and optimize and improve things. And the launch of a new design is really just the first step. But you've you've often advocated that, you know, um, a new design is just, you know, a stake in the ground. And then from there, you kind of need to figure out the the perfect direction to go. Yep, absolutely. So, okay, you ready for my little summary bits? Yeah. Okay, as the web designer guy who, you know, admittedly, I, I, I care a lot. I, we've cared a lot about conversion. You know, at Think Traffic, when I designed Think Traffic for the first time, conversion like went through the roof, right? We didn't we increase conversion by 50%? Yeah. It means, you know, twice as many people every day were signing up. It was insane. And again, the point, the, the way I think the reason why that worked is because we were very clear about what this meant and what you got from it. And it was very loud and proud, but in an uh, in a way that that didn't feel sleazy. Converting by fifty uh, percent doesn't doesn't mean twice as many. By the way, I was just going to let that slide it too, means, Corbett. It means <laughs> it means what? So if I get a hundred people every day, that means I've got one hundred and fifty now. You got it. See, I'm mather. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, I'm not mather guy. Like I don't think a whole lot about conversion, but I have. But I worked. I've worked for a long time with clients who this is the most important thing you know, is conversion. But at the same time, I'm coming at it from an artsy fartsy sort of artistic personality type, which is like, no, the most important thing is that you stay true to who you are. You don't sell out the people who you promised to help, you know, all this sort of, you have a, a, a badass, great relationship with these people. Um, so balancing these two things, they're oftentimes they can be in tension with one another. And that's where we live. Uh, doing a, doing an online business, and that's good. But you've really nailed it, uh, Caleb, in bringing up this smart passive income post because, yeah, you can have amazing uh, a design. Design's easy. Design's dumb. Like it's so simple. It's just a commodity. Go. You can just get money and hire someone. You'll have a great looking de- design. That's not going to solve any of your problems necessarily. It could, right? But what's going to matter now? Is now that you've got, and this is features heavily in my, you know, essentials of design for business builders course in Fizzle, is just you know you get it out there really clear and concise. Corbett, to your point, the headline has one, the headline, big headline up top. That's the most important part of your sales page or of the thing. 
be really what 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 does that have to do? It has to do one and one thing only. It has to get someone to read the very next sentence. And what does that sentence do? One and one thing only. You guessed it. Get someone to read the very next sentence. If you think about things this way, it gets very simple. The page sort of writes itself. You can put it together well, right? And so if you can picture having a big headline and that that's it draws you in and it's interesting. It's also maybe a little quirky and it's it's interesting. It tells me a little bit about where you're going, but maybe I'm I'm curious to know more, right? Uh, and then it kind of falls down the page from there. So first of all, that's a huge tip. Second of all, to this smart passive income posts, uh, it's it's totally about this. You, he had goals. Podcast listening was one of them. Email subscribers was another. And then traffic to a couple of important pages mm-hmm. like his revenue pages and things like that. These are three goals that he identified as important goals. He said, what's important on this site? These three things. So you might say, what's important on my site? It's just one thing, clicking the buy button and getting the thing. Once people are doing that, then I can, then I can have a relationship with them from there and I can, I, they, they ask for a refund or whatever. I, I can, I can smooth things over via email from there, but I just need to get them from ambiguity to like, I'm interested in this thing, right? So you, you define your goal and then you, you, Get to set up your page so it's easy to test for that goal. And we've done this on Fizzle's homepage where if you go there right now, who knows what it looks like in the future, there's one big headline up top. And we've done a lot of testing with that using, we use Visual Website Optimizer, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that, we've done that and this is the headline that's worked the best. Right, we have ideas for other pages, we, different page types we want to put together and put up there. But uh, okay, I'm rambling now. I, I have a lot to share on this stuff, but it all do, nothing really matters as much as uh, as as two things. Your headline really is important, and and treat it as such. Let that be the thing that it matters when you change it. Meaning, it's big, it's bold, it's up front. People aren't going to miss it, and it gets them to read the next sentence. So that way, you can try five or six different headlines right next to each other, and you can see using Visual Website Optimizer or something like it which one wins like it'll it'll clearly be able to tell you which one's doing a better job which is great and then uh secondly danielle laporte had this awesome post or awesome point about the mistake she made was taking her foot off the gas once you launch you know yep um like you launch the thing and it's like oh god that's out because the point is it's not about that launch day it's really not. It's about ongoing relationships and promotion from there. It really still is. Um, and, and that's such a good point to remember. And it gets to this last point, which is, again, I'm, I'm going all in on the, the relationship thing. I love that I get to be in a partnership with you guys, uh, you know, where we balance each other out. You know, you, you guys think differently about these things. Like Corbett, you're, you're always, thinking in terms of the bottom line and revenue and things like that, because these are important things. This is how we're paying. This is how we have to make payroll and pay each other <laughs> salaries and things like that. Right. So we have to do that. That's important. And I, because you're thinking that way, it frees me up to be like, well, delight and, and relationship guy. Right. But I love that. I love any time that I get to focus on building a relationship over the long haul. So I can sell you something else in two years or in a year from now as well. I can sell you this for twenty dollars, and then this other thing I'm putting out for another twenty dollars later. Because you like, you're like, I like this guy. I trust him. He gets me. He makes things that I think are cool. I learn something. They're they're interesting, right? I, I don't know, Caleb. Am I making any sense? Yeah, and I think what you're getting to is that you kind of need a sales funnel in a way instead of just asking people to buy all the time. You have to 
you know, walk through the process of someone that's coming to your site for the very first time, coming to your brand or business the very first time, what are they exposed to first? And then eventually building up enough trust where they're willing to become a fan, become a customer, whatever you want them to end up doing. So, you know, one of those first things you want them to do is to get on your email list because that's a very personal connection. They can click reply. They can get into your inbox. You can exchange one-on-one emails with that person. So if, have that be towards the top of whatever conversion things you want to be. Get on your email list. And then you can passively share some of your old posts. We did this at Think Traffic for a while where we shared some of our favorite posts from the archives. We recommended products or uh, affiliate stuff over a course of you know, 10, 20, 30 weeks of just once a week emails. And that's how you can still get passive sales, get um, fans to check out stuff that you've made in the past three to five years, like on Think Traffic. And yeah, that way they're not overwhelmed completely by just going to your homepage and having 35 different options to click on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to Leo's, what you're saying to me reminds me of what Leo yeah, said exactly. about people bought because he was already blogging. Uh-huh. And they already trusted him. And we forget about, like, it's not a blog post. It's like you're building trust. That's why design is important. Because the, the, when, you, when you reach one, and it's law of diminishing returns at certain points, right? But once you get over some threshold, it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is someone who must be, who takes themselves seriously. It's like you walk into a party and someone's wearing a blazer instead of, you know, looking like a homeless person, right? It's like you're going to take them a little more seriously or, or, or at least treat them a little more, uh, you, you might, you might be more open to that potential in some ways. But you build that trust over time before you start asking for money, quote unquote. Um, like Jenny, wait, have we showed, didn't Jenny Blake's yet? We did Jenny Blake's, right? Yeah. At least so, yeah. Last week. Yeah. Um, like Jenny Blake said, and I thought it was so, she expressed it so well. It was like, I'd never asked anyone for money before in my life. You know, it really is a trip. And she had been doing the thing for like two and a half or three or four years. Yeah. Or something. She had been blogging for or more. I think four years, yeah, exactly. four or five years. And it, t- and then it took her two and a half years to write the book, right? you know, because she was, had some of this fear about like, just like being able to say, this is worth your, your dollar, you know? Um, so I mean, so summarize for me, it would be, um, don't get caught up in all the conversion stuff, put stuff, think about your, your product and make it as helpful as possible in terms of like, you make your sales page as helpful as possible, make your emails, answering people's questions, and then really take to heart that bit that, that, uh, sorry, that Derek said about, I wish I would have done this in two months, got a handful of people in there, even if it meant at a discounted price and then got their feedback and then released it from from there another time yeah you know updated with feedback i have testimonials i have this that and the other i know how people are thinking rather than taking that six to eight months to actually make it i would have sure would have done it in two months got a small group in there got the feedback made it better and then you know you could be basically launching it in an in that same amount of time but you'd have a much better product and i think convic- conviction is just when you know for sure this is valuable because you've heard from enough people to convince you that like, oh my God, that saved my life. Thank you so much. That's when you you start behaving differently. You can sell differently in that situation because it's more of that Chris Johnson, like, I don't care if you buy this from me right now. Someone's going to buy this. I'm going to be able to put food on the table. It's not a problem. So it's not about whether I get you or not. I'm not desperate for you, you know, in, in particular. When you get to sell that way of just saying, yeah, this is what it is. It's helpful for these kinds of people. They've loved it, yada, yada, yada. Then you feel better and more, I don't know, it feels more natural, more human. That's, so that's my, that's my summary. Where do you guys go? 
I'd say um, to split, to think of the launch in two parts and not just to focus on the actual launch day or the launch week so much, but to spend as much effort on the post-launch, the long tail of the launch, as you do on the launch itself. Because, um, you know, like Danielle said, taking her foot off the gas after the launch, there there is a, a lot of opportunity out there to continue to make sales. And like Leo said, where he, you know, he sold more in the third or fourth year or whatever of having this book out than he did in the first year. Um, there's a lot that you can do along the way and don't put all of your, your emotional eggs in one basket necessarily, uh, hanging it all just on that first launch day. Yeah. I don't really Caleb? have anything else to add. <coughs> Come on, that's Caleb. It. That's all you got, huh, Caleb? I feel like I already said my points that, you know, the sales funnel, oh, interaction, back end, all that stuff. Just remember, just re-listen to that part. <laughs> I have been Chase Wardman Reed. I've been Corbett Barr. And I've been Caleb Lawrence Wojcik. Oh, we got the we got the middle name. Oh, that's so great. It means less than it did, just so you know. Yeah. Because it all meant your more MailChimp before. talk, yeah. all your fiddling with the MailChimp, MailChimp. talk. MailChimp. Kind of brought you, your brand down. So there you have it. Our sincere thanks to Derek, Dan, Tom, and Danielle for your stories. If you go to today's show notes, okay, I'm going to give you that link in a second. You'll find a bunch of info about each of them. And speaking of which, here's that link. Fizzleshow.co slash 37. F-I-Z-Z-L-E-Show.co slash 37. That's where you'll find every link we mentioned in this episode, including those amazing posts by Pat Flynn and Kissmetrics about conversion and design. They are not to be missed. Listener, if you liked this, please leave us an honest rating in iTunes. Just open up iTunes, go to the store, search for Fizzle, try really hard not to click on the Jamaican dance hall one. Instead, click on the three white guys' faces <laughs> and just click write a review. Leave us a leave us an honest rating there and let us know what you think of the show. We're, we're working awful hard over here. As you know, The Fizzle Show is a production of Fizzle.co, where one course, Chase's Essentials of Web Design, has seriously got you covered over five hours of lessons and a real life example of designing a big time blog. Sorry, they make us read that. No matter how hard it gets, how hot it gets, remember, listener, we're humans. We're in this together. You're not alone. And it's not a win, lose, zero sum game. Let's make something we care about. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. And talk to you next Fizzle Friday, the fourth and final installment of our first product series.